So she called me into a meeting and she said, Joe, I'm really sorry, but you're about to lose everything. The, the key thing was to finish, finish my education. And I think that's why it was so hard for them when I was then pregnant, when I was 16. It, it was not planned consciously, but I would say that I was definitely struggling at that time with my mental health just by virtue of the fact that I was a teenager and full of hormones. And of course, when I then became pregnant, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind ever that I would be keeping my baby. The ability to form relationships and solve problems, the ability to collaborate. There are so many skills that are so much more valuable in the world today than just having a, a piece of paper that says you're clever. So. I've been a parent my entire adult life. Mm. I was pregnant before I left home and I've always had to combine work with family. Yeah, so when I was 18, my son's dad killed himself. No, he, he took his own life. He gassed himself in my car. But from that moment onwards, I realised that people and relationships and um, being happy is so much more important than working hard and doing well. So fast forward to 2018, um, that was actually the year that I was homeschooling the kids. Um, unfortunately, that was also the year that my marriage broke down. But saying no meant losing everything and saying yes meant maybe saving everything. So I said yes. And I took. actually, in a relatively short period of time, the business was thriving. You know, it was doing well. It was making a good profit. And we were climbing our way out of that big black hole that, we, that we'd been in. I'm on a mission to help the world to see success differently. For sharing the stories of our guests, I hope to inspire those that listen. This is the Different Hats podcast, produced by H2 Productions. Hope you can join us on this journey. I just wanted to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Nostos, an authentic experience of Greece right here in the heart of Hove. In a world brimming with dining options, finding that one place that captivates your palate and heart isn't always easy. It's about more than food. It's the stories, the ambience, the slice of another world. This is the essence of Nostos, an award-winning Greek restaurant. With traditional recipes passed down through generations, each dish promises a story and a piece of heritage. And Nostos is more than just a restaurant. It's a community contributor. Each dining experience supports initiatives close to their heart, from local charities to cultural events, enriching Brighton and Hove's social fabric. They also provide catering services, bringing Greek cuisine to your personal events. For a taste of Greece without leaving town, visit nostos-hove.co.uk. And when you do go, say Sam recommended the Feta Nests. Oh my God, they are amazing. Okay, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My guest this week is a former solicitor who in 2018 took over Bagel Man after returning it to profitability and steering it through the pandemic, she has now handed over the reins to her son Leon and resumed her career in HR and employment law. I was lucky enough to hear her speak at the Best of British event and her story inspired me so much, I've been so excited to have her on as a guest and share her story with us today. I'm delighted to welcome the wonderful Joe Pryor to the podcast. Joe, how are you? I am very well, Sam. Thank you for having me. It's a great honour. It's amazing. Look, it's really strange. We're obviously just chatting 
prior to coming on air and sort of saying about, I remember hearing you speak and talk really openly and honestly about your journey and some of the challenges that, that you sort of faced on the way and stuff. So I'm really, really excited to, to share with our listeners today so look, we're gonna we're gonna jump straight in as we always do and we're gonna we're gonna kick things off obviously at the beginning of your story because i believe that everyone there's a start to a story and and i want to go back to the beginning so do our life in 60 seconds and just tell us a little bit about something about your life growing up to sort of help shape who sits in front of me today I grew up in Brighton, which I understand is quite unusual. Um, had a really lovely childhood, um, lived with my brother and my parents. Um, they both worked for the NHS and um, worked their whole lives for the NHS. Um, but they just created a really beautiful home for me and my brother to grow up in. Um, lots of lovely holidays. We went to good schools, surrounded by friends and family and culture and um, yeah we just had a really really lovely time my mum worked hard she was always working whether she was working as a nurse or a health visitor or in the home with me and my brother looking after us and my dad just has the most incredible mind he's he's a he's a big thinker um, a doctor but also a philosopher and a scientist so we had some really fantastic conversations in the home around the dinner table so uh, a, a good childhood I was very very lucky amazing right. and what, what, let, let's talk a little bit more about it and so growing up as with parents like that and what would what was your what was it like what was you like at school what was your school life like did you get on well at school did you enjoy it or I was I think I, I was well behaved until I was a teenager. I was um, I was a rebellious teenager. My brother would say very rebellious. I think it was healthy, a healthy rebellion. Um, but I did well at school. You know, I, I was a good girl and I was clever and I did my homework and I worked hard. Um, and actually, I think that came from my parents. One of the values they gave me was a appreciation for education and learning and broadening your mind and even when I was going through my naughty phase I always went to school I I never skipped a beat so yeah and what what, what was that what did you did you have in mind what you wanted to do when you was younger what what career you wanted to go into or was there was there a path a focus no, I didn't have a clue. I, I was an all-rounder. My brother took after my dad. He was a scientist. Um, but I was just quite good at everything, but not brilliant at anything, which I think makes it really difficult for young people growing up. If you don't have a passion um, and you're just quite good at everything, it can be quite hard to know um, to know where to go with that, really. Mm. Um, I've always really, I'm quite a nurturing person and I think I get that from my mum. So I always thought that I would end up in a a caring profession. Um, But again, as I said, because I was quite rebellious, it definitely was not going to be medicine because that's what my dad did and what my parents did. Um, Did they want you to maybe go, was there an encouragement to go into that or...? No, not especially. Um, They definitely wanted me to go to university. There was no doubt about that. Um, But there was no pressure to to go in any particular direction. Um, The the key thing was to finish finish my education. And I think that's why it was so hard for them when I was then pregnant, when I was 16, um, because that was um, 
not obviously what they they had planned for me or or had hoped that I would end up doing. What was that like then, talking to me about that at at 16? um, Not planned, I'm assuming, at 16 or what? It, It was not planned consciously. But I would say that I was definitely struggling at that time with my mental health just by virtue of the fact that I was a teenager and full of hormones. And I think that on some level, I definitely thought that having a baby and having another person to take care of and to love would help me feel better. Mm. Um, So I was careless. Um, At the time, of course, I said it was completely accidental because who plans to have a baby when they're 16? But I was definitely careless um, with contraception. Um, And, of course, when I then became pregnant, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind ever that I would be keeping my baby um, and moving out of home and starting a new life with my boyfriend at that time. so that was, you know, that was a very abrupt end to a very idyllic childhood, mm. um, and yeah, quite a, a major, a major change in direction for yeah. me. What, and then, and then what, at sixteen, I guess, going back to that point, and then being a young mother, and what, 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 what. Future plans? What did you think of them? Was it was it then thinking about well, I'm going to be a mother and have and that's going to be it, or you're going to go on and career-wise, what what sort of going through your head? I guess it, I didn't have a plan for a career, but I definitely had a plan to finish my education, and that was that was never in doubt. So I was pregnant by the September that I started my A levels. By that time, I'd left school and I was at Sixth Form College in Brighton. Mm. And um, there was never any doubt in my mind that I would not finish my A-levels and go to university. So I continued um, at Sixth Form College all the way through the first year. Leon was very conveniently born at the end of June. So, (laughs) yeah, perfect timing. (laughs) Um, So I think I only missed two weeks of the summer term. had the summer off with him obviously it was the summer holidays and on the 1st of September I was back in college with my baby ready to start work again and I never asked if I could bring him in I just turned up with my pram parked it in the corner of the classroom and carried on with my studies um, which was you know all power to my tutors and to the principal of the college at that time for just letting me do that um, because that was really good. What, what, what was the feeling, I guess, from other students and your peers at that time? What was that that period like, being a mother and then and then studying? They, I mean, the other students were just brilliant, you know, yeah. supportive. Um, my history tutor once said to me that, you know. The lessons I was in were his favourite because everyone was so well behaved. I'd sit there as a 17-year-old breastfeeding in front of 17-year-old boys and they were so well behaved, they couldn't possibly look at me, so they really (laughs) concentrated on what he was saying. Um, But yeah, everyone was great. I think for me personally it was hard because suddenly there was no shared experience with my peer group. I was going through something very, very different. I had a huge amount of responsibility. You know, parenthood is huge, whatever age you are. And I was missing out on parties because I was at home with my baby. Mm. Um, 
but it was right for me at that time. What is it about you to have that that focus still at that young age to be in the position you're in, which is not like a lot of the other 16-year-olds, as you've alluded to, but to have that f- focus to still go, no, I need to get my education, and this is going to be this is of the utmost importance as well as being able to look after a child as well just where's that skill that that mindset come from that came from somewhere deep inside me and I can't necessarily identify where from I think that I was quite frightened about what my future was going to be Mm. and it was a huge wake-up call you know parenthood a big reality check Mm. And I felt that if I worked hard and did well, if I did my A-levels and went to university, then our shared future would be a good one and would be a positive one. And that's because of my background and because of the value that my parents placed on education. I felt that was, you know, my ticket to success um, in the future. Yeah, wow. Wow. And then, and then talked about university life. What happened then, obviously, still as a young parent and as Leon's obviously growing up and in those early years but in, in university was that a struggle did you enjoy university what um university was much easier than a levels yeah. a levels were were really hard I mean pregnancy and a newborn made that incredibly hard and obviously yeah. I was a bit younger um university yeah I had a great time I really enjoyed it um I had um opportunities to go to move away to university and in the end decided to stay locally and go to Sussex and I did um, anthropology with development studies which I loved it was brilliant and interesting but not much of a career at the end Um, and then I did the law conversion course so I did a postgraduate diploma in law after my undergraduate degree. And and, and was that with that the plan oh I'm going to go into law and that was going to as a profession and no I didn't know what I was going to do <laughs> I <laughs> I finished university with this degree in anthropology and really thought oh okay you know my parents had kind of promised me as had many parents of that generation if you go to university then you'll have a job for life mm-hmm. um, and I went to university and I had a degree and I didn't have a clue what job I was going to do or if it would be for life and I think really for my generation that had all changed Um, you know society had changed a lot from when they had obviously done their studies Um, so I thought for a while that maybe I would go into teaching Um, I wanted to stay in Brighton and that that time there wasn't a great deal of industry in Brighton so it needed to be a profession. It definitely wasn't going to be medicine, and that really left me with law. Yeah. So it was never, at that time, a, a passion, um, but it was a sensible choice. Yeah. So, I'm interested, because obviously with the education system and the way that it is, I talk about it on here quite a lot, but you would it What's your position around it now? Because you obviously your parents put a really, you know, an emphasis on how important that was to do that. But then, similar as you're sort of saying, you come out of you come out of education with a degree potentially, and actually still not know what direction you wanna you wanna go in. Um, 
what's your take on the education system, the way it's set up now, and and are you, are you still with your kids? Was that essential for them to go ever? I don't think it is essential anymore. Mm. No, not at all. In fact, when Leon was doing his A levels, um, you know, he he's a very clever young man, and he had chosen to do all three sciences and maths. But at that time for him, those A-level courses weren't gelling, they weren't working. And I remember having a conversation with him where I actually said to him, you know, do you want to drop out? Do you mm. want to go off and get a job and earn some money and find yourself um, and maybe revisit this later because you don't need to do it now. And if it's not working and you're not getting good grades, you're kind of wasting your time and mm. everyone else's. So he, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing all this, I'm sure he won't. He, you know, he, he dropped out of, yeah. of A-levels. He went off to Northbrook and he did um, music production and theatre and had a brilliant time and um, worked in lots of different jobs before he found that he really enjoyed finance and accountancy, which is what he's now doing. Mm. And he's now studying alongside work um, and that, is good for him mm. so I think it's not a one-size-fits-all I think you need to find your own path um, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I completely agree and I, I, I think what's interesting with that there is that actually ultimately it's just for me for, and certainly with my kids it's finding what they what they enjoy what finding your passion that's always a difficult one so how do you you know you just but do things that you enjoy doing right that's for me of the utmost importance and, and the education system is set in a certain way that the academic side of uh, 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 of education is um, that's what's rewarded right? mm. whereas there is the other side that potentially not as much so and the creative the creative the creativity within within the education system and that, like, it isn't one size fits all that's how I listening to you talk and that's, and that's it and I I think now, you, even you mentioned like with our generation coming out and you know, and having a degree isn't a ticket to a job if you don't necessarily know it. Of course, it helps to a certain level, especially if you want to get into law or medicine or a profession like that. Then you, of course you need that. My wife wanted to, we went to school together, wanted to be a solicitor. That was her goal, and she's done that, and she's been a solicitor all her life. And that was her dream, and she's achieved that. But she was in the minority of the people that knew what they wanted to do. I'm 44 and still searching, right? So I think it's then back to the point of what do you enjoy doing and then find a path, no? No, I completely agree with you. And actually, I became really interested in education policy after I had the girls. Mm. Um, and um, at one point in time, actually, took them out of school to home educate them. It was around the time that there was that very popular TED talk that was all about creativity and everyone listened to it and all of our friends were thinking about alternative education for their kids because the curriculum in our schools had become so narrow. Um, and I thought, you know, by that time we had the business and we could afford it, so I thought what a wonderful opportunity to to take them out of school and to home educate them and to do all of the things with them that are now considered enrichment, like the art, the drama, the sport, the trips to museums and the art galleries, and they were doing martial arts and pottery and all of these wonderful things. Um, and we had, you know, a good year of the most tremendous fun a lot of time in the forest forest wow. school building fires foraging you know fantastic 
what an amazing experience for them. Like, yeah. That's, that's so incredible. And I, lo- I love hearing things like that because that, that's exactly it. I think, I look at, I've often talked on it, like my, got twins, so there's obviously going to be a comparison. They're, they're the same age and they go, go to school. But Sienna is really academic, like Kelly, and she's like my wife, and she follows that. And whereas Lucy is a little bit more creative, we say, and again, forest school and stuff like that, really loves it. Um, but you... The, the, the score identified, oh, Lucy's a little bit behind, and I'll, I'll, I'll go mad about it, but I was really frustrated by that comment. I'm like, seven years old, this was last year. Seven years old, how can she be behind? Like, I don't, like, behind what? Like, because they're being measured on a, a certain element of being, whereas experiences like that, life experiences, and they're so much more valuable than, for me, I think, than just that academic side. I know they've got to have foundations, but... There's so much more value in that. I completely agree. The ability to form relationships and solve problems, the ability to collaborate. Mm. There are so many skills that are so much more valuable in the world today than just having a a piece of paper that says you're clever. Because as you say, it's an arbitrary measure, particularly when they're very young. And I think to pigeonhole them when they're young is also quite an unhelpful unhelpful thing to do. Because I guess they're almost labelled as... As failures from like because you're you don't fit into that box there and you don't you're not up to that measure like you said there's that one measurement that they're then they're put into that bracket of and that could be quite damaging for someone quite young to be able to go oh, you know I'm I'm not as clever as that person or I'm not and that just frustrate I mean what what frustrates me is I can't understand why. Why still? Because everyone I talk to about this on here, why the system isn't changing, or why why it doesn't change? Because it's still so archaic, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, schools are very much the same as they were when we went to school, <laughs> and the same as a hundred years ago. We mm. really haven't changed very much at all. And in all of my research, I found some wonderful examples of schools in other parts of the world yeah. um, where things are really done very differently. Um, and hopefully, one day we'll catch up. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> well, um, well, look, t- talk to me about that. Like, I guess that early part of your career then, and, and getting into law at that that early stage. Talk to me a little bit about uh, about that period, and obviously still being a young parent as well, and then and then and then doing doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, I was very, very lucky to uh, find a training contract in Brighton because they're difficult to get, as you'll know from mm. your wife's yeah. experiences, no Absolutely. doubt. Yes, yes. Um, it's a competitive world. Mm. And I got a training contract in Brighton and, um, you know, was still, as you say, a young mum. Mm. Um, but it was a great time. You know, I found out that I loved work. I'd mm. obviously um, struggled financially when I was, you know, very young and caring for a child and to be you know fully financially independent and earning money Mm. and doing a job that I enjoyed where my skills were valued was hugely rewarding Mm. and I was you know incredibly happy and I quite quickly discovered that employment law was you know the area where I wanted to specialize because Mm. I'm very interested in people and in work and in the world of work and how to make that better for people. Um, 
I really enjoyed all of the tribunal work um, representing people who had been unfairly dismissed or subjected to some form of discrimination, so working with equality. Mm -hmm. um, but also I really enjoyed training employers and helping employers to be the best they could be in terms of work, both working within the law but best practice as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I really found my, my niche there. I think if I hadn't had a young child at home, I would have loved to have gone off and been a human rights barrister or something oh, like really? that. But that doesn't fit in with, with family life. Mm. So I needed to compromise a bit. And, and I was trained by the most brilliant woman. Fantastic, really? fantastic woman. So very lucky to have met her as well. Um, okay, you, you mentioned about there, uh, about obviously decisions being made based obviously around family as well from, from such a young age and I, you know I always talk and maybe go into it a little bit later on about work-life balance and what that sort of looks like but you've had to I guess navigate that from a really really young age whether it be studying for A-levels yeah how have you managed that I guess through that them early stages what did you learn from those early stages and how did that help you later on I guess for, to achieve a work-life balance of some kind? I think that's a really difficult question for me to answer because as you've just said I've always done it mm. so I've been a parent my entire adult life mm. I was pregnant before I left home and I've always had to combine work with family apart from the few years when the girls were young and I was lucky enough to be a full-time stay-at-home mum, which I absolutely loved. Um, but it's something that I've just always done, so I couldn't really say yeah, yeah, yeah. how. Um, there is always a way to make it work. Mm. There's always a way to make it work. Um, it means that life is very full and very busy, but, you know, I love that. So <laughs> That's really interesting, yeah, because it's, it's one of them, I guess one of them things, especially as business owners and stuff like you entrepreneurs you, you constantly juggling and spinning plates and, and doing all the things but being able to you know I guess the key is trying to be present at any time that's what I've, I've certainly I guess learned from doing nearly 100 episodes of the podcast and speaking to people trying to work out how people navigate the challenges that we face with family life and, and, and with work but I guess it's my, my main thing is how, how do you do do you become present in that moment? How important is that time, especially when, like you say, you're going through so many changes emotionally as a young person as well for you? Like, was that was that a challenge or? Yeah, well, yes, absolutely, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of being present in the moment, and I think that's become both easier and more difficult mm. with technology and the way that technology has changed. Yes. When I had Leon, there was no internet. Um, so when I was studying, I was very focused on my books. Mm. But then when I put them away and I was with my baby, I was with him. Whereas now we have phones <laughs> and we have the internet and we have laptops. We can work from home and we can work flexibly, which is brilliant in some ways for family life and for equality, particularly for women. Um, but it also means that you never switch off from work. It's always there. It's ever present and it interrupts us. And you can think you're with your kids because you're in the park. But if they're playing and you're on your phone, as you say, you're not really present with them in that moment. Mm. And I think 
entrepreneurs in particular and business owners are workaholics, most of us, yeah. by nature. And it becomes very difficult to switch off. And I think I've had to learn how to be very boundaried with my time and say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm with my kids now, I'm at home, I'm being mum, put the phone away, leave it in another room, switch it off. So it's not distracting me from what they need. And, and are, you, are you able to switch off when you do do that? I can now, now. but that's a new skill. That's a very new skill. For many years, I couldn't. And in fact, for many years, the business was in a position where it needed my full attention. Mm. And um, my parenting, no doubt, did suffer at that time. Mm. But, you know, I felt that I didn't have much choice. Yeah. Yeah. I guess for, for me, one of the things trying to learn is actually getting that balance is tough um, and I guess it's, there's sometimes I'll be more present with the kids and I just uh, and other days I'm not ultimately I try not to beat myself up too much about it and you go I'm just trying to do the best I can on that given day like you said sometimes the business will need you a lot more than it does on other days and, and I guess trying to trying to do the best we can as parents is and as, uh, within work and everything else, there's got, that's where the balance is. Have I done my best today to try and be the best person I can? I've made decisions based on that. That's okay, right? Absolutely. And also sometimes you don't do your best and that's also okay yeah. because actually we're all human and we make mistakes and I know that yeah. I've made hundreds of mistakes. Um, but you have to forgive yourself and you you know you do learn from those mistakes and you do grow as a person and if we spend too much of our time beating ourselves up and regretting decisions and replaying things in our minds then that's really not helpful either that doesn't help anyone so um I was such a perfectionist growing up I had to you know, straight A student. Um, I had to be the best. I had to be good at everything, and I've really had to learn to let a lot of that go and accept the fact that I'm not perfect, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And where, where does that perfectionism? Where does that come from? Like from that like was that was there much competition with your brother, or was it your peers, or where, where was that that sort? Of? Where did that come there from? wasn't so much competition with my brother because he was nearly three years younger than me and okay. we were very, very different well, people. Yeah, yeah. In fact, he was just better at me, I think, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with both most things. But um, but I think I'm competitive with myself. Well, yeah. um, and I think it was, you know, when I became pregnant um, and I, it became like a survival um, mm. mechanism for me to, to do well and to be the best. Um, I set myself a goal of getting straight A's for my A-levels when I was pregnant. I decided that's what I was going to do. That's how I was going to survive in a way. And and I went out and I did it. Um, And I continued being like that for a number of years. And then I found that it was exhausting. And, you know, you don't have to be the best. and You don't have to get straight A's. You know, the most important thing is to be happy and to have balance in your life and good relationships and make positive decisions. And, and those things are actually much more important. OK, I'm just going to say something about one of our sponsors, Rivervale. The world of cars, vans and minibuses is often a pain point for many of us. The hassle of finding the right vehicle, let alone looking after it, are all more things to add to our lists as busy people. 
Rivervale's mission is to make motoring manageable, and that's why they provide leasing, purchasing, servicing, and vehicle management. So whether you have one family car or a fleet of vans for your business, Rivervale are your trusted vehicle supplier. Visit www.rivervale.co.uk. Okay, let's jump back to the podcast. Was there a point that was did something happen that, along the journey that made you change your mind around that? Around the perfectionism, for, yeah. Like when you, you decided that I don't have to be the best at that, or I can. Happiness and fulfilment comes from balance and those things. Was there was there a point that you can look at and go? That was when that changed, or yeah. So when I was eighteen, my son's dad killed himself, and um, that was obviously, you know, that had a huge, huge impact on me. Um, and up until that point in time, I had really believed that if you work hard and you're a good person and you do the right things, then you know you will be rewarded um, by life and good things will happen. And in my head, I, I, for some reason, as I said, had um, hooked onto this idea that if I stayed at college and did my A-levels, then everything would be okay. Mm. Um, And I got my results in August. I found out that I got three A's. And not only that, I got the top mark nationally in psychology A-level. And then in October, he died. And I realized that wasn't right. And I don't know why I ever thought it was right. Um, but from that moment onwards, I realized that people and relationships and um, being happy is so much more important than working hard and doing well. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Uh, do, would, you, would you mind talking a little bit about that period? Like then, uh, with him? No, he, he took his own life. He gassed himself in my car. Um, Leon at that time was 16 months old. Um, I remember waking up in the morning in an empty bed and um, getting up and starting my morning routine, um, feeding Leon his his porridge or his Weetabix, I think I gave him for breakfast, and then hearing a knock at the door. And um, I could see through the glass of the door that there were police officers on the other side. I could see their uniforms through the glass. And they came into the house and they said, um, we're very sorry, but we found a body and we think it's your, your partner, we think it's your boyfriend, and will you come to the, to the morgue, to the hospital with us to identify the body? Um, which I did. And it is one of those formative memories that will never leave me. Um, I was hugely shocked, hugely traumatised and um, went through the period, a period of the most intense grief and pain. Um, but as I came out the other side, I, I don't know, I found a new sense of confidence that I hadn't had before. Um, when you've been through the worst that you could go through and survive, you come out stronger. And I know that's a cliche, everybody says that, but it, but it really is true. And suddenly nothing felt difficult anymore because, you know, I could go to a job interview and that was nothing compared to what I'd been through and what I'd survived, so. 
Joe, thank thank you for share for sharing that that with us and that. And that Paints a picture, I guess, like listening to you in context when you talk about the business, and we'll go on to that a little bit later. And, and where that that resilience and strength comes from, and understanding a little bit more about your story now and, and sharing that, I, I guess, like you said, those challenges not insignificant because they're still challenges, but less so than what you've already been through. Yeah, and I think it's really important sometimes in life to reflect on who you are and where you've come from. And we can, as much as it's good to live in the moment, we can also get caught up in the moment and occasionally taking time to step back and reflect on what we have done and what we have achieved and the journey we've been on to get to where we are today can be quite valuable and quite helpful. Yeah, very much so. And, and I guess like up really keen at that at that point it still was such a young age 18 to to to, to find that where did you feel have found that strength and resilience from at that, at that at that young age I don't know that I was strong and resilient necessarily and I remember at the time so many people kept saying you're so brave and I thought, I'm not brave because bravery is a choice and I didn't choose this. Mm. It's happened and I'm just getting on with life because what else can I do? I'm a mum. I have a baby. I can't stop. I can't go off the rails because I have another person who's dependent on me. I have to be okay for him. Um, and that's why and that's how I kept going. So I guess really in answer to your question, the strength and the resilience came from the fact that I was a mum and I had a little boy to look after. Amazing. Um, I guess if we're to move on there and, and look at, I guess, the start of the, from that, looking at some of those skills that, like I said, it will put into context about the, the conversation we're having now about, about the, I guess, the business and um, that next part of your journey, I guess, lead, leading up to that. But what, what, talk to me, I guess, about 2012, what, what the, the, from a solicitor to director of Bagel Man, what, how does that come about? What, so it was actually, it was 2011 that we bought the much. business. I was pregnant with my third child, um, mm. Maddie, my, mm. my second daughter, and uh, still working, as you say, as an employment law solicitor, um, but about to go on maternity leave. And at that time, my husband was at a crossroads in his career, and we decided that we would buy a business for him to run. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mum, so take a short career break to be at home with my babies I was about to have two under two um, so a lot of work and then a 16 year old boy at home as well um, and he found bagel man bagel man was on the market and he said that this is brilliant you know this is just a fantastic business I can run this well it fits my skill set and what a wonderful brand you know it was a brand that we already knew um, the whole time I was at university I lived on bagel man bagels <laughs> I loved them <laughs> it started up at the innovation center at Sussex University and grew mm. from there so it was you know a, a brand and a product that we both had a lot of familiarity with and so we did it we went for it we bought the business um, 
I did the HR sporadically. Um, I also did work for other employers as well, but predominantly for the next few years, I was a stay-at-home mum, which I loved. And it was a huge privilege. You know, what a privilege to be able to do that and spend those years at home with your baby. So I was very lucky. Yeah, 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 sure. And then, and then, so he, he's running a business, and then, but then, move, I guess, moving on to 2008, you you come into the business more you know, as managing director. Talk to me about that decision. And, and yeah. That. So fast forward to 2018. Um, that was actually the year that I was homeschooling the kids. Um, unfortunately, that was also the year that my marriage broke down. So my husband and I very sadly separated. So there was a lot of grief around the loss of that relationship. We'd been together for 20 years. Um, and I was readjusting again to the fact that I was a single mum for the second time in my life with a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old still at home. My son Leon had obviously grown up and left home by then and was doing his own thing. Um, and so coping with that new reality... I went into one of the shops one day because I hadn't really been involved in the business very much at all. And I just thought there's something not quite right. Um, I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but there was something not quite right. So I went to the managing director and I said to her, "Um, you know, now that I'm separating from my husband, your boss, (laughs) I'd like to be more involved. Is there anything I can do to help? And she said, actually, yes, you could do the weekly one-to-ones that I have with the store managers. Um, That would really help me. So that's what I started doing. And then a few weeks in, I looked again at the shop in Hove and I thought, actually, we've had it refurbished fairly recently, but it could do with a bit more, you know, a few finishing touches, a bit of art, maybe some new lighting, maybe some plants. So I said, can I have a budget, a small budget, just to sort of, do the finishing touches and she said it was at that moment that for her the penny dropped and she realized that I had no idea what was really going on so she called me into a meeting and she said Joe I'm really sorry but you're about to lose everything Um, the business is losing money and I've tried everything and nothing has worked and I need you to take over and it was a huge shock i just lost my marriage, but I thought that we were financially stable. And then to discover that was not the case was um, huge. And then on top of that, I was being asked to take on this business. And I've never run a business before. I knew nothing about running a food business. You know, I at one time thought I might set up a law firm, but that's entirely different (laughs) to baking bread and serving food. And there's the, you know, the health and safety, the trading standards, the, you know, there is so much that goes into running a business, as you'll know yourself, Mm. you know, understanding profit and loss and managing a cash flow and supplier contracts. You know, the list is endless. And I was so scared But also, you know, for a long time I said I had no choice, but of course I did have a choice. I could have said no, Um, but saying no meant losing everything and saying yes meant maybe saving everything. So I said yes and I took over and I did my best to make things work and I did make things work. You know, the business is, you know, 
still here and it's thriving and it's growing and it's brilliant, but it has been a very difficult five years to get to where we are today. Wow. I mean, what, what, what even, where do you start? What goes through your head at that point of that conversation? Your mindset at when someone says that to you, that you're going to, you could lose everything unless you come in and jump in and and make a go of it where, where do you even start to what do you what do you do day one when you go well i am i've made that decision i am going to go in and do it what, what was your plan then where, where do you start i looked at the numbers that's the very first thing i did we had a finance manager and she was producing monthly management information and we had a finance meeting and i mean that that was probably the biggest shock because up until that point I didn't know quite how bad things were um, and when I looked at the numbers I took a step back and actually I think I have my dad to thank for this I'm his scientific brain is very good at boiling down big complex problems into something quite simple and I thought okay what is a business in its simplest form what do you need to make sure you survive and you need to make sure that the money coming in is greater than the money going out so how do I do that with this business now we've got a great product people love the product the shops are busy there's not much I can do I don't think to improve sales at least not quickly and not with the type of business that we're running so what can I do well I can you know try to save money by cutting costs Um, so I set about renegotiating supplier contracts rent um, you know changing our packaging making redundancies which was really hard and really sad and difficult because Mm. some people had worked for us for a long time and worked hard for us but I just looked at all of the different ways in which I could save money And um, gradually, bit by bit, I found that we started to move back into profitability. Um, There also needed to be some really big changes. Um, There was one shop in particular where the rent was really high and we had to close that shop. But it meant that the remaining business would be profitable. Um, And so I just took it one day at a time. And I chipped away and I chipped away and eventually we were profitable again. We still had debt, which needed to be managed, and we used a legal mechanism for managing that debt mm-hmm. with the help of some insolvency practitioners. Um, but, you know, we, we got there. And actually, in a relatively short period of time, the business was thriving. You know, it was doing well. It was making a good profit, and we were climbing our way out of that big black hole that, we, that we'd been in. Wow. Again, like I, like I said, right at the start, I guess one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on, to, because I remember listening to you talk about that at the best of where I just was blown away. Really, just thinking about looking at looking at your business and being in that that hole, and what the steps actually people listening as well, potentially some of them in maybe in that, a position similar and looking at those things. And I just, I guess couple of things to urge is that people we always got a choice right as you, as you sort of mentioned but if you are going to give it a go then look at some of them key elements 
where can you save what can you do how do you those practical solutions to be able to because sometimes it is looking at it logically taking emotion away from it because that for, for you I guess must have been a difficult thing as well from the an emotional side because you're obviously dealing with obviously splitting up with your husband as well because his involvement in the business what was that then at that point when was was he involved still then or he he agreed to step aside when I came in to take over so mm -hmm. he had been CEO with a managing director and at the point in time she came to me and asked me to take over he agreed that he would step aside and let so me take over. So he obviously shared any of that in the, the, the business was going down or was he not aware of that or? I couldn't say. So, yeah 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 sure sure. Yeah I don't know. Yeah wow and but I, I guess couple of things one back to from your point of view I guess look from back to that point of what you've been through at just 18 to look at a challenge smacking the face as, as you are now as you was with Babel man looking at it in in the sense that actually can't be as bad as what I've been through previously I can we're going to give this a go and, and, and come out of that. Would that be right? I think it would be right in a way, but also I had absolutely no idea what I was taking on. <laughs> I'd had no idea until I started. Oh, I was God. uncovering things as I went along oh, okay. day by day. And, and the, the, you know, the reality of this situation was slowly revealing itself to me. And from an emotional perspective, I think in a way it was easier for me to come in and be the saviour than it can be for directors for whom things have gone wrong on their watch. Mm. And quite often it isn't anybody's fault. You know, the market can change. You know, one of your most important clients can go bust and that can have an impact on you. There could be a pandemic. There are so many things <laughs> that are not our fault that are outside our control that can have an impact, a financial impact on our mm. business. But it's definitely easier to come in and save the day than it is to be the person who's, mm. you know, feeling responsible and trying to pick up the pieces. And um, when I did the, the uh, did a bit of research before I did that talk that you, that you listened mm. to, and one of the things I found out was that when things start to go wrong, the vast majority of company directors will do nothing and hope things might get better. And I think one of the things I said in that talk was how important it is not to do that and to act quickly and to you know, as difficult and painful as it might be to recognise what's going on, to take action and to go and find some professional advice because there are people out there who can help you and are qualified to help you. Mm. And even very early on, there are all sorts of business rec rescue packages that can be, can be put in place. Mm. Um, and quite often your creditors, it's in their interests for your business to survive as well because... Mm they're quite often your suppliers and they make good money from you. Mm. So everybody has, you know, has an interest in seeing a good business survive mm. that's in some sort of temporary difficulty, which is, you know, what happened to us. Yeah. Was there, as you started to uncover things, like, I guess seeing more and more challenges as, as you did unravel stuff, was there ever a point where you felt like you looked at it and you just went... Phew. Continue with this. I can't, I can't continue. Was was that ever in in your mindset, or was it always? 
I'm, I'm going to get through. We'll just take each day that come, I'm going to get through. There were lots of times when I wanted to give up and walk away, but it's a little bit like waiting for a bus. The longer you're there, um, <laughs> the more you've invested of yourself, um, the more difficult it can be to walk away. And I'm so stubborn. You know, I'm inherently stubborn and determined. And um, I don't, you know, I don't give up easily. So, no, I, I, I did just keep going. And then and you still remember the point where, like you said, that where you saw that, I guess, the, the, I believe, I'm, I'm guessing, at the beginning, there's not much of a light at the end of that tunnel. <laughs> but do, do you remember that point where you saw as you're going along and you saw that and you was like, I could see that flicker in the end? Yeah, I mean, it did come actually relatively quickly because I took over in October mm. um, with my team. I really need to stress with my team. It wasn't me alone. I had yeah, brilliant sure. people working with me. We turned the business, turned the ship around. And once we'd proven that it was profitable again at its core, we could then put it into a CVA. And that meant we had a way to manage the debt and that was by March, end of March. I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. The CVA was going to be for three years. I could see that it was affordable. The business was working well. And, you know, that was March 2019. I thought, we just need to keep things going now. So that light came quite quickly. Mm. Um, obviously, that changed a year later when we went into the pandemic. <laughs> but at that point in time, I thought, job done. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's then talk about the band there. I mean, again, you, you've split up with your husband. You've been given that the, the business, which is struggling. You've come in to turn it around, which you've done fairly quickly. And then March 2020, <laughs> bang, and the pandemic hits. What, 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 what goes through your mind at, at that point? Yeah, I mean, that was huge. And, you know, we had been through so much trauma already, not just as a business, but as a family. Me and the kids had to leave our home and um, move above one of the shops. And that was one of the cost-saving measures I put in place. I massively reduced my salary, um, you know, the money that was coming out of the business for me. Um, and I did that by moving the family from, you know, a beautiful Sussex village um, right into the centre of Brighton. Um, and so, you know, turning the business around came at huge personal cost. Mm. Um, there was a lot of a lot of sacrifice, a lot of long hours, you know, in the early stages, 50, 60 hour weeks, earning not a lot of money, but just in the hope that I would end up with an asset that that, you know, was worth saving. Um, so having gone through all of that, um, the day that lockdown was announced, which was my birthday, <laughs> was hugely, hugely traumatizing. And I spent a whole day crying. I woke up in the morning and I cried all day. But by the end of the day, I felt amazing. I felt a huge sense of relief because I'd let go. I thought to myself, okay, I did everything I could. We're in a lockdown, a government-imposed lockdown because there's a global pandemic. There is just no way we can survive this. And that was tremendously sad. But as I say, at the end, by, you know, by the end of the day, I'd let go of it all and I felt light as a feather. I felt 
I felt okay. I thought, okay, what's next? <laughs> um, but the strangest thing about that is, you know, I went to bed, I got up the next day and I carried on and the business carried on and we got through the pandemic. Um, and, you know, it was hard work, but we did it, we survived. And at that point in time in March, I never thought that would be possible. This is Geo. Geo runs a scarf company. Geo doesn't see the need for telecoms. Everybody uses mobiles now. But can a mobile really be a business phone? Geo is having coffee with a client, Gabby. Well, actually, Geo prefers acacia leaf tea. But what happens when someone calls? It could be a big new deal. Surely it would be rude to take the call? But many people hate leaving messages. They may just call a competitor instead. What can Geo do? The answer is simple. Turn the mobile into a business phone. With the GoGiraffe app, Geo can quickly transfer the call. Or, before the meeting, Geo can simply use the app to divert calls. No more missed calls, lost deals or unhappy customers. Turn your mobile into a business phone today. Go Giraffe. Getting back to that mindset, what, what is it about you that, cope, that you go... I spoke to someone on there a couple of times and they said, as a business owner, basically if I get punched in the face three times a day, I'm, I'm having a good day. <laughs> so we, we have to... Um, that resilience and stuff is built. But with so... You've talked about a variety of traumatic experiences in your life that many of us won't have ever faced and yet is it that that makes you get up the next day and go I'm just going to carry on I think it does give you a, a strength and a resilience um, yes I think it can make, make you stronger I think trauma can make you stronger I, I don't know, I don't know what it, I don't know whether there is anything particularly different about me I think maybe I'm just incredibly stubborn. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, inc it's incredible of what, and then getting through, I guess, through lockdown and and coming out that other side and where the business is today and where, where you've gone to. And obviously you, you've obviously changed as well now coming out of that side of it. So just talk to me about, uh, I guess, those that moment of, I guess, of, was it of relief that you go, I've got the business to this stage now and it, is, it has turned a corner? Yeah, I mean, we went through many other issues and, and problems that needed to be overcome. You know, we didn't come out of the pandemic completely unscathed mm. um, and there were other challenges and um, we needed to bring in new investment um, in order to survive and I was really lucky to have a very dear friend who believed in me had had you know been a part of my journey and wanted to invest um so we brought in new investment and that was what enabled us enabled the business to keep going and keep you know keep keep on and um so yeah we've talked about all these changes was there that sense of like where, where was that point where you come out of the pandemic and there again another light at the end of the tunnel or that sense of we have turned this business around now and a euphoric moment or just a point where you get to a point where you go oh, 
we're on the right track now, I'm okay. Yeah, I, I always thought that there would be a euphoric moment and my son and I called that Champagne Day and we would say to each other, when's Champagne Day? Is it now? Is it now? Is it now? Is it this moment or this moment? And we've had so many days that could be Champagne Day and we keep saying to each other, not yet, not yet, you know, not yet. It's not Champagne Day yet. Um but yeah, I mean, the business is in a really brilliant position now. It is growing. We opened a new shop last year. We're going to be opening another sh new shop very soon, um, which is the one for some reason I'm most excited about. It's in a shipping container behind Aldi. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's in um, a really cool part of town near the Met College that's um, being developed. Loads of student accommodation going in. There's a really cool gym next door. And um, so we're in a period of growth and um, the business has been completely reinvented. You know, I changed the brand design, I changed the menu boards, the way the pricing is structured. And, um, and it is, you know, it, it's in a fantastic position, but it was never meant for me, that business. I never had an ambition, as I said earlier, to run a business. Mm. Um, I always loved my career in employment law and by extension HR which is the field that I'm now working in and it felt like a really sensible time to hand over to my son because he has all of the skills he was 16 when we bought the business he's done every job in it he knows it better than anyone he's done hundreds of hours in the bakery behind the counter from 16 until today he's scrubbed the floors he's painted the walls he's done everything and because he now works in finance he's got all of those skills so he can do payroll and manage cash flow and create management information and um so he's brilliant you know he's the perfect person now to take it forward into the future. Is, is he coming the CEO? Well, I, I just think in a small business, you don't need a CEO. Yeah, yeah, you know, sure, he, sure, he's, sure. he's the MD. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I no longer have any management responsibility at all. Yeah. And I am absolutely delighted about that. <laughs> I cannot tell you. Um, but, you know, I love it. And I'm still there in the background. If, if he needs some advice, you know, I'm there to lend an ear and to help him steer things in the right direction but also just tremendously happy to be working as an HR consultant and looking after my girls. You know, that's, that's me, that's who I am really, so, yeah. What an incredible, with Leon taking over that and that role, I guess. Um, was, it, was it his ambition to wanna, run a business at some point or what, what, is it that just sort of developed into this opportunity that he sees and just he he loves the business really? he really loves it it was a part of his childhood a part of his growing up and um, he's got such a passion for it and a passion for the brand and and for wanting to keep it in the family mm. and grow it and love it and nurture it which is what a business like that needs mm. So I don't know whether he always intended to or had ambitions to one day run it. Um, he's a brilliant accountant and, you know, a brilliant finance manager. So is that what he done after Scott? Like he, he studied to... He, he, yeah, he has another full-time job 
working as a as a finance manager and he's training to be an accountant but also has the business as well but it is a family business in its truest sense because his girlfriend also works for us she does all of our social media and a lot of business support for the managers her dad drives the van um, we've over the years employed so many different friends and family members and friends children um, and that's wonderful you know everybody says it but a, a small business like that is a family mm. and we are just enormously lucky to have such a brilliant workforce so many good managers and loyal loyal workers who you know will often leave and come back you know one of our bakers has worked with us on and off since he was 17 and he's just a little bit older than Leon and I think that you know reflects really well on us mm. as people and as employers yeah, amazing Doing the HR consultancy now, would would you ever want to do another business? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I would have guessed that might have been. Like, I'm, I'm keen. I'm keen as well, just to. Cause I always talk about <laughs> go on to success in a little while, but but prior to that, you know, failures and struggles and stuff that we do face. What was your Sure, like, like you say, you're very stubborn. What's your relationship like with failure? That's a very good question. Um, and if it was a question about mistakes, I could tell you about hundreds of thousands of mistakes that I've made. But failure is something a bit different to that. Mm. And I talked a lot about my perfectionism. And um, part of that meant that I would never do anything I wasn't good at because I wouldn't want to fail. Mm. Um, but my relationship with failure has obviously evolved and changed over the years and I've had to really face it head on. You know, there were many moments in time when the business could have failed but didn't. Mm. And many moments in time when I personally felt like a failure, um, that I was making, you know, mistakes and getting things wrong and it was just such a huge mountain I had to climb and I was learning every day so of course I was making mistakes. Um, the failure that I cherish the most, um, I did think about this, I did once apply for a job with a government agency, a very secret government agency, and they rejected me. And um, looking back, I'm absolutely delighted that they <laughs> rejected me because I would have hated that job. It would have been very difficult, a lot of pressure, far too much responsibility. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, sometimes you put yourself out there and you fail and you get rejected, but you learn and you grow. I think that's the, for me, failed many times and I do most days, I guess, but it's the, the stuff that we learn from, like you mentioned even about mistakes, they are slightly different maybe from failures, but actually whatever we do in life, we trip over and we get back up again and we keep going. It's that, that's where we, we learn, right? That's where we learn that, those what we're made of and how we can deal with those processes and then hopefully learn from those mistakes, failures or whatever they are and try and develop them in a different way for the next thing that comes along. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's, it's so important to put yourself out there mm -hmm. um, and to try new things. And I always worry a lot about what people think of me. And I think that's one of my greatest lessons over the last few years is to mm -hmm. really let go of that. 
whenever you take on any kind of leadership role, you have to mm. make really difficult decisions and you have to make decisions that some people will love and some people will hate and not everyone will like you. And no one will know actually what information you have presented to you. No one really knows what has caused you to reach that decision. So you need to be really strong in yourself mm. um, and have a real sense of your own morality and your own integrity and be confident that under scrutiny you can justify at the very least to yourself the decisions that you've made and and be comfortable with those decisions and I lived in a bubble for years I was a stay-at-home mum and I didn't fail and I didn't make mistakes because I was in my bubble with mm. my babies and then suddenly I was out there in the world um, in a position where I was making mistakes on a daily basis and having to really come to terms with that and how that felt um, but a huge period of growth as you say huge growth if I looking back over all of what we've discussed if you if you could go back to a specific moment in your journey and change it what would it be so I don't believe in regrets um but there was a moment in my life when I had a huge opportunity which I walked away from and that was um, after I did my A-levels and I got the top mark nationally for psychology A-level. I sat my exam with the Oxford and Cambridge exam board and I received a prize from Oxford University, an all-expenses-paid trip to the British Psychological Society convention that year which was in Manchester and I didn't go. But also I was told, you know, if you want to go and study at Oxford or Cambridge, the top universities in the country, you can with these results. You know, this is phenomenal. And I didn't. And if I could go back in time and change anything, I think I would have done that. I would have left Brighton and I would have gone and pursued a career perhaps as a psychologist. On the other hand, I wouldn't have my kids so how could I swap them for that and how could I possibly know what might have happened if I'd taken that different path so you know and, and I'm always I always find that so fascinating that question but I, I, I always am a believer that ultimately we make the best decision where we are at that time that's all we can do in life isn't it yeah and I completely agree with you and I think I said that myself as well earlier you make the best decision at that time and you look back with hindsight and you think maybe I should have done something differently but you didn't have all of the information and you didn't know what was going to happen next you know when I took on the business I didn't know there was going to be a pandemic <laughs> you know how could I possibly have foreseen that and yet, you know, what I've ended up with is a fantastic, thriving business. My kids are happy. I'm back in the career that, you know, that I love. My son's now got this fantastic opportunity to take the business forward. And actually, it was probably, despite the pain, the best decision I could have made. So, yeah. And actually, through the, through the struggles that we... we we face in life life is a, is a struggle and that's it and and it's but again back to the point of it's how we react to those things that, that are forced upon us and whether it be trauma or whatever those struggles life is a struggle but as long as you keep moving forward and you keep believing and things will be okay yeah keep going keep, keep going. going absolutely
there, there, there were times when I nearly didn't, but I'm very glad that I did. So, yeah. Amazing. So, as I knew it would, it's been such a fascinating conversation. And we're, we're coming just towards the end of our, uh, of our, our life in 60 seconds. And we, again, talking about success um, and how that's defined, um, where you've been and where you are, where you're going. Um, what, what, what's your definition of success? Success has to be about happiness. It really has to be about happiness. You know, you can talk about having a successful business, which is a business that makes money or achieves its purpose, whether that's, you know, providing a good service or, or creating a good product. Mm. But if you're not happy, you're not successful. Um, so my own happiness, but also the happiness of my children, my friends, my family, and also a feeling that I'm making a positive impact on the world. Mm. Um, that to me is success and a successful life. Love that. And I think, look, I, I can honestly say, just from having this conversation and by you sharing so much and being so open and honest with us, that you are certainly having an impact and, and inspiring so many people, I guess, out there. Me, me certainly, and I'm sure many of our listeners with your amazing, amazing story. Um, and I'm really, really grateful for your time and coming on and sharing that with us. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for having me. It's been a, a huge honour, great f privilege. It's Thank you. It's been amazing. Before we go, what does the future hold for you? Oh, a simple life. <laughs> a really simple life. <laughs> I'm just going to keep raising my kids and doing my job and doing the things that I love, like running and meditation and yoga and and yeah, hopefully no more big challenges, although I'm sure there will be some. <laughs> Meditation, I'm keen to just touch on that. I'm, I've started this year a little bit. Do you meditate every day? Uh, I would like to. Yeah. Um, you know, soon into my bagel man journey, um, one of my dearest oldest friends invited me to go on a retreat with her yeah. with an incredible teacher called Bergs. And um, he helped me loads just in one week. I spent a week um, not speaking to anyone. It was a silent retreat and meditating all day, every day. And by the time I left, I felt like I was floating. I felt light and I felt able to think clearly and make really, really good decisions. So I would, you know, highly recommend any form of prayer or meditation mm. or, you know, just taking some quiet moments in the day to anyone. I think it's an amazing thing, a powerful thing. I said I've just started, like this year I've tried to delve into so much so the last couple of months been to the Buddhist centre a couple of times and and just done some guided meditation there and and it's game changing. It is really absolutely is. brilliant and and I think it's to do with just making your mind still yeah. and then developing your concentration. There was one thing that Berg said to me on the first day which really resonated with me, which is to do with suffering. Yeah. Um, and he said, are you okay? And my brain said, no, I'm not okay. All of these terrible things have happened to me. And I'm really worried about all these things in the future that might happen. And he said, but are you okay now in this moment? Are you okay? And the honest answer to that question is yes. I have food. I have shelter. I have companionship. I'm sitting in a room meditating with some really fantastic people. In this moment, I am okay. And that means that all of my pain and my suffering is coming from 
remembering things that have happened and therefore no longer matter, or worrying about things in the future that haven't yet happened and may never happen and therefore don't matter. And it comes back to that idea of just being present in the moment. What an, what an amazing way to, to round up. That was, um, Joe, I can't wait to share this episode. So, listen, again, thank you so much. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. And that, as they say, is a wrap. <laughs>